And where do I put this? I know there. Where can I come down? Do you guys see me? If I come down, I don't feel like I'm elevated. Whatever. Uh, I've been to Mozambique several times, and uh, one of my favorite places, one of the craziest places I've ever been. Ran into a witch doctor there. Um, he that was yeah. We walked in through the market, and he had you know skins and animals and stuff. And you know we were these young guys, and they wanted to start witnessing to him. And he said, "Let me tell you something." He looked at us and he said, uh, it's kind of like in the Civil War. You know, we had a Civil War here. Yeah, I know you had a Civil War. He goes, there was lots of guys when they thought they'd go fight, they'd go to the battlefront. He said, when the bullets started, they ran. And he looked at these college students that we were with, and he says, when the real fight comes, you'll run. And I mean, his, I was like, no, actually, I've been there before, because <laughs> I have, and uh, we'll talk about that this morning a little bit. Hopefully, I won't scare anybody, but uh, we'll talk about a few things. Good morning. My name is Charles Porter. You see my family on screen. Um, they used to be a lot smaller. I don't know what happened, but uh, I came and they keep eating, and uh, so this is my family. If you can go to the next slide real quick. Uh, this is what it's like when they actually are, you know, trying to be nice for dad. If you want to go to the next slide, this is probably more realistic of what the family's like. Grumpy teenagers and goofing off and dad, why do we have to do this? I'd have to take 300 pictures. But uh, so my kids, Joshua is 20. He's adopted from Kenya. He has muscular dystrophy. So that's a large part of our family story, walking through disability. Um, Alana is 15 and she is on her second novel. She's a novelist and uh, but like 70,000, 80,000 word novels. Um, so she's a, a writer, and Riley likes basketball. And so those are my pride and joy. And my wife and I have been married for 20, 26 years now. But uh, So she's taking care of them this weekend. They send greetings. Um, my name is Charles Porter. I've been a missionary for, I think, pretty much my most of my life. My mom and dad were missionaries in Western Europe. They tricked us. You know, we were, I was perfectly happy in East Texas in a little town with my friends and mom and dad said, hey, wouldn't it be cool to go around the world and tell people about Jesus? And we're like, yeah, that sounds cool. And they're like, okay, we're quitting our church and moving to Europe. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? What happened? And so we went to Europe and I learned how to say, which just means sausage shouldn't dry out too much. And I don't know why the French can't get that straight, but uh, mom and dad were church planters in Western Europe. And so we learned to eat fr uh, mayonnaise on our French fries. And, you know, it was back in the days when I thought a mullet was cool. I still think a mullet's cool, but I can't grow quite as much hair as I used to be able to. I don't know what's happening there. But uh, so then came, went to North Central University, met my good friend who's here this morning, um, and then went off to Africa as a missionary. First term we spent in Sudan. And uh, then we ministered in Kenya where we adopted Joshua. My wife had had a dream that we'd have a son named Joshua, and we were dealing with infertility at the time, and she had miscarried. And anyway, long story short, we go down to an orphanage. We find this baby. These, our name is already Joshua, and he was born the day we miscarried. And we're like, uh, maybe God's in this, right? Sometimes you see things, and God's in it. And so Josh came into our lives, and um, then we were church planters in Tanzania, We've done a few other things along the way. Currently, we're ministering in Quebec. And you're like, wait, how? Like, Africa, I get. That's a mission field, right? Like, I mean, it was 140 degrees in the desert, you know, all of that. I get Canada? Like, 
Canada? Really? Like, I go fishing there during the summertime, right? Walleye, I get, but missionary, how does that work? So, you know, I sort of agree with you, because Matthew 28, Jesus comes to the disciples, and he's just raised from the dead. He says, go into all the world except Canada. Like, I'm going to put an exception on that, right? I'm going to send you everywhere. I'm going to send you Papua New Guinea. I'm going to send you to New Zealand. I'm going to send you to Africa, but don't go to Canada. That one's accepted. All of a sudden, wait, wait, that's not what it says, right? It says, go into all the world. And for us, Canada is part of all the world. Brandon is part of all the world. And Pierre, which is Pierre, I, I still I speak French. And I'm like, I can't say Pierre. I got to say Pierre. Okay, but that's all the world. And so we're commanded. The question is not where, if we're commanded to go. It's how far and where in our faithfulness. Why Canada? Because I'm not okay that there's a city within 25 miles of the American border of over 4 million people in the urban area called Montreal, and fewer than 1% would call Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There are 80,000 Chinese living in my neighborhood in Montreal. The signs were in French, English, and Chinese. Oh, and you know, also, I think missions is only for people who don't look like me, right? Like, I should only go to people who are very different than me. Obviously, you've noticed I'm a little sarcastic. You have to ex <laughs> excuse me that. I'm not okay. I'm not okay that the most rapidly de-Christianized country on the world is Canada. In the mid-60s, 50s, 60s, about 67% of Quebecers attended Mass on a weekly basis. Whether or not they had a faith, not judging that. Today, it's less than 2% in 50 years. The church has been wiped out of the acceptable social conscience. I think we need people to go minister the gospel. So my family and I began ministering there. There are some churches there. There are people there. It's, we're, listen, I've never gone where Jesus is not. I think we live with this, this idea that you know we go to the unreached because Jesus is not already ministering there. When I was a missionary in, in uh, Tanzania. I, took, I planted a church, and we took young people from our church, and we went to this unreached Muslim village. And so we're way out in the bush. You could, there was no road. I had a 4 by 4 I literally bent the frame on my truck the first time we went back into this area. And we got in there. We're doing a soccer camp for the kids. And then I, they let me take pictures. But anytime you're, pictures are always an awkward thing, right? Because we love pictures, and everybody loves to see, but you got to get permission, and they got to get value, and so it, it's just tricky, especially for those of you going to Africa. Just be very careful with that, because I want to be very respectful how we use those pictures, and so I was trying to do that. So one of the things I did is I said, well, hey, come around tonight, and I'll show you the pictures, and so I dump all the pictures on my laptop. I got on a ladder, and I scrolled through the pictures, and the entire village would come around to see, because this was just a little bit before smartphones got popular. And so the whole village would come around to see these pictures. The story's going somewhere, I promise you, okay? So they'd come around, see the pictures, and at the end, I'd say, hey, we're done for the night, great. Now, I'm just going to talk to my young people. You're welcome to stay, but it's a Muslim village. I can't preach. I can't do a crusade. 
How do you tell people about Jesus when you can't do it? Well, you show them pictures of themselves, and everybody loves to see pictures of themselves, right? And then, well, you can go, well, what are you going to do? There's no electricity. There's no running water in the village. There's nothing. They just stand around and watch the white people and see what they're going to do, okay? So I know that's literally what it was. And so then I had my young people, and I had prepared them for this. And over five nights, I walked them through the gospel story. Genesis, God created and man rebelled. Exodus, God pulled his people out. Moses, God gave the law. David, they built the temple. Solomon, they built the temple, but could never fulfill it. And so in Jesus came and said, I'm going to reconcile you. And the gospel begins and ends in Jesus. And so over five nights, I walked them through what is called a gospel process or gospel storytelling. And on the fifth night, the last night of doing the soccer camp, the entire village, like there's about 200 people there. And I'm just talking to eight young people and I'm preaching to an entire unreached village of Muslims. It was an amazing experience. But Remember I said, you never go anywhere that Jesus is not? One of my friends is standing on the edge. He's another missionary who's on the trip, and he's standing, and the guy walks up and says, hey, can I talk to you? So he pulls him aside, and he says, "Um, I moved to town a couple years ago, and I walked into what you would call an Assemblies of God church, and they're talking about Jesus, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, but nobody in town knows it. The Bible says that he will not leave himself without a witness. And so there is a witness in Quebec. There are people who are powerfully ministering, just not many of them. And we're coming alongside pastors. We're coming alongside ministries and kind of leaning our weight into what God is doing. And so, you know, if you ask me formally what my, what I do, I do coaching, training, and teaching in the church in Quebec to help. I just lost. There we go. We're back. Um, now, normally, and I've already started telling a few stories. My wife's like, tell stories, and everybody likes stories. Like, I have great stories. Living in Africa, if you don't have great stories, you're just not living. I mean, I've been charged by a 650-pound gorilla surrounded by wild elephants. Uh, there's all sorts of, and I could prove the gorilla story. By the way, I have a video. I just didn't bring it this morning. I have those stories. Um, circled by sharks in the Red Sea, bungee jumped in the Nile, got sucked under an undertow. I mean, I've got, we've planted a church and grew to hundreds of people. We saw all these miraculous stories. And, um, you know, people like these kind of stories. I love these kind of stories. They're inspiring, right? And then I got to go back and drive in the snow. <laughs> like, like sometimes this life here in church, it doesn't connect with that life out there. And I think, man, wouldn't it be nice if God used me in that way? And wouldn't it be nice if my life were like that? So this morning, can I break the mold and tell you a different story? Four years ago when we started our new assignment to Quebec, um, moved my family. It was 2020. South Dakota had been closed for like, wait, you didn't, right? Nah, we're not going to do that, <laughs> okay? We moved to Quebec, and they shot down for almost two years. I was interim pastor of a church, helped a church walk through a transition while I was up there. In February of 2020, they asked me to have a passport a vaccination passport to allow people to come in the church building. Split the church. People were fighting. It's amazing how we don't want to fight the devil, but we can fight each other. Can I just say that? Like, 
you know, sometimes I think Jesus just wants to take us out to the woodshed and say, stop it! Like, just stop it! I have two kids, and my two youngest, when they're, they just, like, stop fighting for three minutes, please! I'm trying to feed you ice cream! <laughs> right? Just eat your ice cream! I want to bless you! It's Christmas morning, and you're fighting! Can I just say that? I'm sorry, Pastor. Yeah. You guys don't support me anyway, so I, I'm just, uh, just, whatever. Okay, so here we go. You know, Sunday, we should probably look at a scripture. <laughs> Let me get myself out of trouble by doing this. I'm going to tell you a different story by reading you some scripture. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says this. Paul's talking about, he's dealing with a church where a bunch of people come in and they said, we're better than Paul. Because we have secret revelation, we have secret knowledge, we know things that you've never heard. Listen, be very careful when you have somebody tell you that they have a secret revelation that nobody's ever heard. Now, they may have a new perspective on things, and that's great. But secret revelations, those are dangerous. And they're often manipulative. It's not that it can't be true, but the Bible says we walk in the light. The truth of the gospel. Anyway, so besides, so he's talking, he's addressing this, and what these people, they're boasting in who they are. I just want to read this, and I'll explain it a little bit. I must go on boasting. Nothing to be gained by it. I go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man. He's talking about himself. He says it's not him, but it's him. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Now, you got to understand for them... Um, the first heaven is where we live. That's the physical world. The second is up above us, and the third heaven is paradise. It's where God is. Okay, so that was kind of the worldview at that point. So I got to go to heaven, and whether it was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. God knows, but I know him. he was caught up into paradise, and again, he repeats himself, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot utter. This is what the super apostles were claiming. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though I wish I should boast, if I wished to, it wouldn't be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. My dad loves baseball. Apparently there was these old baseball guys called Dizzy Dean and Daffy Dean. And Dizzy used to say, it ain't bragging if you can do it. So this is what Paul's saying. I've I, I done these things. I wouldn't be a fool. But I refrain for it that so one, no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pre pleaded with the Lord with this and it should, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me for the sake of Christ then I am content with weakness including insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I'm strong little context here Paul has started this church it's a great church lots of spiritual gifts anytime you have spiritual gifts you also have a lot of stupidity they just go hand in hand. Like, I don't know why. I've been following Jesus a long time, 
And this just happens. And so Paul writes them a letter and says, hey, there's some stupid stuff going on. You guys have taken stuff too far and this and this. That's the book of 1 Corinthians. And then he also writes some beautiful stuff. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Not proud. He gives us some framework for moving the Spirit and moving in the fruits of the Spirit. And then, you know, it doesn't get any better. So apparently there's a middle letter that maybe we don't have. And now we have this letter. And Paul's defending his credentials to the Corinthians against a group of people who call themselves super apostles. And part of this, we need to understand the culture of the time because part of the culture was you boasted of how good you were. So great leaders and emperors, I have conquered this and I've conquered that. They haven't left the palace. Their guys went out and died, but boasting was part of the culture. And so you see in the Old Testament, we see this. King Esther, uh, the story of Esther starts with King uh, Artaxerxes or whatever his name was. He has a six-month party to show off how rich he is. Now, I don't know about South Dakota culture, but Minnesota culture is not like that. They're kind of Scandahoovian German background. Like, you don't brag about it, right? I mean, we all know who's got money. You know by the size of the farm and the size of the combine and what they got. Everybody knows who's got a little money, but we don't show it off. That's not our culture, but culturally, this was how you proved how big you are. Later on, we find that Nebuchadnezzar, God punishes Nebuchadnezzar for seven years. He goes mad. Why? Because he looks out at his kingdom and says, look what I did. So, you know, but it's not part of our culture, right? Because we don't have arguments about who's the goat, Jordan or LeBron, Who's the goat, Brady or Montana, Gronk or Kelsey? Who's the goat, Gretzky or, nah, it's Gretzky. Sorry, I'm not much of a hockey guy, but it's kind of the only guy I know in hockey, so I can't compare him. Well, you know, you, you compare who's the greatest of all time. And people argue this stupid stuff all the time. And then we have this thing called the humble brag. Remember? Hashtag blessed. Wait, it's not 2018. We don't use hashtags anymore. <laughs> Today we call them influencers. Oh, like look where I was in Bali on vacation. Look where I did this. Look at my life and I've abandoned this or whatever. We don't do this, do we? Or is it pretty much endemic in human society? That pride is one of the greatest things that we struggle against. And if you say you're not, you probably are. <laughs> this is one that's so difficult to root after. And Paul is going after the influencers of his day. They'd never planted a church, never labored over souls, but they advertised they were in possession of secret knowledge that they would reveal for a price. It's like watching a thing on YouTube that sounds really interesting, and they pull you in with all these stories, and then we talked about this at the end. And now for $99.99, you can sign up for my course. Paul writes a letter says, listen, guys, the proof is in the pudding. I've been beaten, I've been tortured, I've suffered, and they claim revolution. By the way, I've gone to heaven. And then Paul says something really fascinating. He says, to keep me from being proud, God allowed. Say that with me. To keep me from being proud, God allowed. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Really? The Bible is clear that God 
disciplines those that he loves. He puts structure into our lives and he allows uncomfortable things to come so that we would not be proud. And this is the story where the story gets a little weird. I was given a messenger from Satan. This is where the scholars spill the ink bottles and write all sorts of stuff. The thorn in the flesh, it's clearly some, Paul is suffering with something and he doesn't know how to get over it. Was it another person? Was it a physical ailment? He uses a metaphor. And then he says, in Greek it says, angelos satana. Now, I'm not a Greeky geeky. I don't know it, but I think I can figure out what an angelos satana means. An angel of Satan. And it's funny in the Christian world how everybody wants to argue that Genesis 1 is literal, but this is not. This has got to be a metaphor. Listen, I've lived around the world. And I want to tell you that there is intelligent evil in the world out to destroy people's lives. Now, is there a demon behind every door? No, there's not. Are there demons around? Absolutely. When I was in Tanzania, I'm praying for a guy, and he literally, the couple weeks before, he had started writhing on the ground like a snake. And then it would just stop, and he'd get up, and he's in his perfect right mind. Today, we call it mental illness. Listen, I believe in mental illness. I believe in the pills to treat mental illness. But I have a friend who lived in the Twin Cities who adopted a kid, and he took him to the Mayo Clinic. And they said, you don't need a psychiatrist. You need an exorcist. There is intelligent evil in the world. My dad was praying for a lady in France, and uh, she fell over, and I, whatever your theology, and a voice comes out of her saying, I told you I wouldn't come out easy. There is real evil in the world, and we are not immune from the attacks of the enemy. Sorry. We have weapons to fight them. But the Lord has never called us. An interesting thing about the, the armor of God, for those of you Christians, you know, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, prayer at all times. There's nothing for your back. There's no armor for your back. If you run, you're going to get hurt. You have to stand and fight. And I find these stories so interesting because Paul says, three times I prayed and God's answer was this, my grace is enough. Now, really, Lord, grace seems sort of inadequate to the task, right? Because grace is just where he's not mad at us anymore because of our sins, right? Because it's our get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace, charis in Greek, but my power is made perfect in your weakness. As I'm reading this, I'm like, maybe I don't really understand grace. Because the grace that I know is not made powerful in weakness. It's power to save me from my sins. But then <laughs> I grew up AG, I grew up Pentecost, and, you know, we were saved by grace, but you better live right after you get saved. I remember having conversations as a little boy. If I sinned on the way out of church and, you know, somebody's driving out of the parking lot and I said a wordy dirt because they cut me off and Jesus came back, am I going to hell, Daddy? Because we're saved by grace, but we have to live according to the law. 
And that's not the teaching here. How is weakness made perfect? See, as a missionary, I want to tell you the great stories. But uh, the summer and fall of 22, I had a pretty weak time. I, uh, we lost our house in Montreal. Had to move back to America because we needed wheelchair housing. And uh, our lease came up, and we didn't get the lease renewed. There was nowhere we could move. We had to come back. And uh, my son, who's in a wheelchair, is going on disability. I came home thinking, I'm going to take care of him. I'm always taken care of and something happened to me, friends, and I, they threw the pharmacy at me. They threw psychology and psychiatry. They threw everything at me. They rest, and whatever was wrong with my body, nothing helped. I would wake up at 4 in the morning with what I called an adrenaline dump, and I would shake till 11 in the morning. I have a doctorate. I've planted churches. I've prayed for the sick and seen them healed. And I lost, I couldn't work. They had to put me on medical leave because I was absolutely non-functional. I was weak as they came. And you know the sad thing about this? You know what my thought was? What are my supporting churches gonna think? Not how do I get healthy how do I process this? Is what is the world going to think that when they know that Charles Porter, the guy who speaks five languages and been all the world and does all this and great sermons and all this, he's weak, he's broken, he's useless right now. I was worried about that. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, we don't really understand what grace is. But I begin to look at the scriptures, and time and time again, grace is connected with power. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I was able to labor more effectively than anybody else. And as I begin to study, God's not looking for successful people. He brings success. He's not looking for powerful people. Like I said, I have all the education you want. And at that moment, it was useless. I knew all the answers in my head. I've walked with Jesus. I remember my dad telling us his testimony. I said, Dad, what, you were so old when you got saved. You were seven years old. Why did you wait so long to accept Jesus? What was wrong with you? I've oh, I never rebelled. I've always walked with Jesus. But none of my prayers have raised my son out of a wheelchair. And I've had to walk with that. I have family members that have had chronic depression for 20 years. And none of my prayers have been any good the way I felt. Brokenness in lives and nothing I say or do. Lord, what is going on here? And he said, I want you to understand that when you're weak, 
That's when you truly understand what the power of the Holy Spirit is because that's grace. Because you really start to know, I can't do it. I can't overcome my anxiety. I can't overcome my depression. I can't fix my business. I can't fix my marriage. I can't do this. And we don't offer to the world this fake, you know, humpty-dory, everything's glory. We offer them, yeah, but my lowest moment, I knew Jesus. I knew the comfort and the presence of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite theologians, a guy I understand about half of what he says, maybe a third, Dallas Willard, he says this, Christians burn grace like a 747 jumbo jet burns fuel on takeoff. Grace is not your get-out-of-jail card. Grace is the fuel of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to walk through this life in weakness. Because life is hard sometimes. And sometimes eternity will answer questions that we don't, are not able to answer here. A friend of mine, my son plays power soccer. It's a wheelchair soccer. Basically, they put kids in wheelchairs and go-karts, put a metal frame and an oversized soccer ball and say, go whack each other and whack the ball. It's awesome. It's really cool. <laughs> we went to Montreal, came back. He came back to the team, and one of the girls who has um, CP, cerebral palsy, her mom wasn't there. Hey, where's your mom? She got ALS and died two years What are you supposed to say to that? I'm sitting there one day watching another guy practice. TJ, his dad's from Nepal. And he leans over. He says, um, you're a pastor, right? No, I don't advertise. I don't tell this. You know, we're just there to play soccer, so I'm not preaching at anybody. But this is our community. He goes, yeah. He goes, um, what does your faith say about death? Okay. Like, we're going, we're going to start shallow and kind of descend. What is your, Why? Um, my brother got on the train the other day. He lives in Hong Kong and had a massive aneurysm and died right there on the train. Where did he go? What's happening to him? How does your faith see this? I got that question right when my body is not functioning. I'm not your superstar Christian to answer this guy. I said, we know that God is love. We believe that everybody will have an encounter with him. But I can't tell you where your brother went. I don't judge any man's soul. Grace is the solar fuel of heaven. It is abundant, it is free, but it must be captured and released in the life of the believer. It's available for everyone, but only used by some. I digress just a little bit here, but when I was in Tanzania, I invited a reprobate Catholic friend of mine to church. He was Irish. I wish I could do the Irish accent, you know, like the ingots. I don't know if you guys know them. They have great Irish accents, but he says, Giles, if I went into the doors of the church, I think the church would fall down. And I laughed. I said, man, you really think you're powerful, don't you? That somehow your sin is more powerful than the grace of God. The power that raised Christ from the 
dead is not powerful enough to deal with your sin? Who do you think you are? How arrogant do you think you are that grace cannot meet you where you're at, that you've done anything that could separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? We tend to think we need to go like Hulk and the Avengers. Hulk is the strongest there is. Hulk smash. You know, we want to go John Wayne or John Wick, depending on your generation, on people. But the weak, the powerless, that's not who we aspire to be. And honestly, like, I don't want to go through that again. Like, I know some of you listening to me, you want like your, your comforters. You want to comfort me. You want to come hug me. And it's going to be, I'm okay. All right. I'm okay. I don't need prayer. I'm okay. I don't want to go through that again. But there are times, and what I learned is that it's not about my power or my wisdom or my knowledge. I use, become the best version of yourself that God called you to be. And then lay that down and say, God, but without you, I have nothing. And understanding this this bigot flow of heaven called grace that sustains us in the most difficult times, in the worst marriage, in the dumpster fire of a failed business, of a credit card debt, and broken family relationships, that's available for you. Even if you're a Christian. Especially if you're a Christian. You may think no one can relate to my life. I've not found someone else who can say to me, but there is grace for you. My power, the moving of the Holy Spirit, happens in the meek and the weak. It's not Iron Man powering up with an oversized arc reactor. God delights in the weak things of the world. Sorry for the superhero references. My kids, I listen to my sermons, so I've got to throw things in there for them every once in a while. God's recipe for releasing power is your willingness to admit your weakness. This morning, some of you are powerful. I know this, but we all have weaknesses. We all have areas that are not failures. Listen, Paul was not in sin. He was not dealing with failure in his life. But we are not powerful. We are weak. And I want to tell you that if you can lean into that, that is your sweet spot. Because where you don't think you can, then God can. You can't save your marriage. God can. Or he can be with you in the failure. You don't think you can save your business, but God can, or he can be with you in the failure. You don't think you can save your family relationship, and you're estranged from your kids, and you can't save it. God can, but he can also give you grace to walk through it. I want to see God move in Quebec. We need churches. We need people planted. We need to be. We need more missionaries there. If you want to come and work with us, if you want to minister in Quebec, please come. God, we we need, but but we're not recruiting the powerful. We're recruiting the people who know that they are dependent on grace. I had a guy one time come up to me, and I'll end with this. I had just preached, and he says, uh, I had shared about my son having muscular dystrophy. And he comes up to me at the end of the service and he says, you shouldn't say that. The Bible says just speak to the sick. If you had faith, you just speak to your son. 
Get up out of that chair. Don't pick on a, a dad. <laughs> don't pick on a cranky, like, don't pick on pastor after a meal or after a sermon. He might get a little cranky with you. I looked at him and I said, feel free. He said, what? I said, feel free. There he is. Go raise him up. But if you can't, you need to shut up. Because it takes more faith and more grace to walk day to day when I have to care for my disabled son than you have any concept of. And if God wants to heal my son, he will. And do I believe he can? Yes. Do I pray for it? All the time. But please do not judge my faith by God's purposes in my life. I am walking with him the best I know how. And sometimes I fail. And most of the time, I am weak. Pastor, if you looked at my missionary budget, hey, you're pretty weak, dude. (laughs) You must not be that good of a missionary. I don't know. All I know is him in whom I have believed and I'm confident that he's able to keep that which I have entrusted to him until the day when he returns. My faith is in Jesus, not in my power. My faith is in the Holy Spirit, not in the power of the Holy Spirit. My faith is understanding that Jesus loved me and died for me and that that love doesn't change once I become a Christian and now I get judged on my performance. That I get to partner with him in extending this thing called grace to the world. That's what I want to do. This morning, somebody might be hearing you say, you know what, I, I really, this way you're talking about grace, I don't understand. I was raised to, you know, fear hell, and you should because it's an ugly place, and, you know, not, not go there. But you've not been taught that the way to approach is not to follow the rules, but by grace, through faith, accepting that Christ died for you. You can't save yourself. And this morning, I think there's probably a lot more of us who've been walking with Jesus and slowly but surely we've allowed that idea that I got to work harder. I got to do more. It's never good enough. And we've not lived and bathed and soaked in the grace. And if I asked you what's your weakness, you're like, ah, is this a safe conversation? We need our relationships to be safe. We need to be able to say, I haven't read my Bible in six months and I have no desire to do so. I wouldn't know the back end of a prayer meeting from the front end. I don't know how to pray and I don't want to. I love God, but like my, and he can say, you know, I can work with that. You know, I only know two scriptures. Hey, I can work with that. But God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you're going through some stuff today, let me encourage you. God is with you. He is for you. He's not against you. And the grace that raised Christ from the dead is available to you today. Whether you're not a believer and you want to become a believer, whether you're a believer and you feel like a failure, or maybe you're operating on the mountaintop and you're like, Charles, uh, I'm pretty good. Okay, good. Grace on you. I'm good. I'd like to be there someday and I hope I'll be there, but I'm on the mountaintop and then I'm not always there. We live by grace through faith. Let's pray. Father, my words have been rambling. 
my story is disconnected. But you love me. You love me. You've given me an opportunity to share that Jesus loves. With these people, with people in Quebec, you've called us, you've equipped us. And Lord, we just make ourselves humble servants and saying, Lord, let us not take the world's ideas of influencers. Let us embrace the knowledge that the weak and the meek and the humble will inherit the kingdom of God. We do want to see you move in Quebec. We do want to see you move in Sioux Falls. We do want to see that, but we do not want to do it in the way that the world does it. So let us present your love and your call to salvation in a way that people understand the true grace of God. We pray this in your mighty and your powerful name. Amen. 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 Good stuff. Really good stuff. We want to bless them this morning with an offering. Invest into their ministry in Quebec.